All right. Today, as you guys can see on the screens, we're continuing our Holy Spirit series. In fact, uh, we're actually wrapping it up today. So if you missed out on the previous three sermons, so you can go on to therocknp.com uh, and catch up on all previous sermons. Everything's recorded. Today is going to be recorded as well. But if you want to open to your Bibles, Acts chapter 2, verse 1. We'll start at verse 1, work our way through verse 4. Uh, but what we've been doing through this series is we've been looking at who the Holy Spirit is and what he does, and really discussing what the Bible says who he is. Uh, I put a disclaimer out when I first started preaching this series. Um, I'm a very biblical guy, and so I want to make sure everything that I preach, I can point to Scripture and say, this is what Scripture says. And so with that, uh, I'm not going to go by, uh, you know, uh, denominational policy or anything like that. I'm just going by what I see what Scripture says and what we can read. And so make sure you pull out your worship guide notes. They look a little something like this right here in your rock church pen, and we'll get going. But can we uh, pray for a little bit, and I can catch my breath here. Father, I thank you uh, for today's message. And Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would lead us and guide us through this. Lord, you are so amazing, so wonderful. And uh, Lord, I just pray that your helper, the ones that you told your disciples to wait here for a few days, because I'm going to send a helper to help you do things that are beyond yourself. Lord, we pray for that very same spirit this morning. In your mighty name. Amen. Amen. So today, church, uh, what we're going to do is we're actually going to look at what it looks like to live a spirit-filled life. A few weeks ago, we talked about the Holy Spirit, and he has two names or names that best describe him. You guys remember what they were? Uh, we have the first one, Ruach. Everyone say Ruach. Come on, church. Everyone say Ruach. Really get that phlegm in the back of your throat there. It sounds very authentic. Uh, but the, and that's Hebrew, but there's another word that's Greek. It's called Numa. Everyone say Numa. Numa and Ruach and Numa kind of uh, they translate down to the same word meaning a mighty powerful wind. We gave the illustration of kind of the winds we have here on the prairie where we got the clouds and all of a sudden this massive wind comes up. And for some of you that have trampolines, your trampolines get thrown in the air. If you live in the country, you got big old dust clouds coming barreling through. Um, and that's the kind of the description that the Greeks and Hebrews gave uh, to the name of the Holy Spirit. And not just because he's a wind-like deity, the third person of God, but because a mighty wind can translate down to this word power, power. And the Holy Spirit, in essence, comes with power. Power to do what? Well, last couple of weeks we talked about he gives us power to share our faith boldly, to preach the gospel, to do things beyond ourselves. Last week we actually talked about how the Holy Spirit, he gives us certain gifts to do things that we couldn't do by ourselves. And so we, we went down, not an exhaustive list that Paul gives us in various uh, uh, scripture, but we went down the list that he gave, and there's the, the big ones that we've heard about, maybe the prophecy and uh, speaking in tongues, and even the ones like leadership and uh, generosity, those things that maybe we don't see and talk about a whole lot. But I want you guys to remember the scripture a few days before Pentecost. Remember Jesus, a few days before Pentecost, told his disciples to stay in Jerusalem for a little bit because once he leaves, he's going to send a helper, the Holy Spirit, who's going to give them power to preach the gospel beyond their own ability. And that's what I, I love. We're going to touch on this just a little bit towards the end of the sermon. But everything that the Holy Spirit does, the reason why he came, the gifts that he gives us, the reason he gives us power to do things beyond our own, own ability is to preach the gospel to those who need to hear it. Amen. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. In essence, it gives us power. It gives us the ability to do things that we cannot do when we share our faith with someone else. 
Fast forward to the day of Pentecost, we see that the Holy Spirit came and really did some incredible things that helped them to live a power, spirit-filled life. And I want to read what it says. If you guys can look at Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. If you don't have it, you can see on the screens behind me. But this is what it says. It says this. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. They, meaning all the disciples. And suddenly there came from heaven, it sounded like a mighty rushing wind. There's that wind term, pneuma and ruach again. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Verse 3, and divided tongues as fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Kind of use your imagination there. There's not a very descriptive thing, but if you want to picture kind of what that looks like. Verse 4, and they were filled, they were all filled with the what? Or who? The Holy Spirit, right. And began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So let's imagine the scene a little bit. We have the disciples all together, right? They just uh, witnessed all these crazy things happen with their, their, their mentor, their coach, and their leader. Uh, in, in, in what we can see now, their Savior, Jesus. They saw him raised from the dead, and they thought, like, oh my goodness, he's back again, and it's great. Let's go ahead and get him king, uh, do all the things that we think that he needs to do. And then Jesus says, well, just wait a little bit, because I'm actually going to go back to my father's place. But if you wait here just for a few days, I'm going to send you something better. In fact, Scripture says it is better for you to go so that the helper can come. And remember, we talked about, like, how weird is it to think there's something better than the physical embodiment of Jesus? Right? Like, like a physical embodiment of Jesus, like, Jesus, I see you. I can touch you. Um, I've seen all the things you can do. But now you're going to kind of send someone that we can't necessarily see or understand. But Jesus says, you know what? It's better for you if I send him. And why is that? Because it's the very same spirit that embodied Jesus to help him do his ministry here. So what's better than a physical embodiment of Jesus? Like, I'm not going to complain if Jesus shows up physically. Like, praise God. That'd be awesome, right? But his spirit is now available to live in you. To help you do the things that you can't do on your own ability. And we use this word, and, and sometimes it can be such a turnoff to people, and no matter what background you come from this morning, I want you to have open hearts and open minds this morning as I talk through this and kind of talk about some controversial things, um, but it helps us to do things supernaturally. We can't explain it. We can't understand it, and so we use this word supernaturally, a, a term that we can use beyond our own ability. So the Holy Spirit has power, the very same power that, that rose Jesus from the grave. The power now resides within believers. And once you are yielded to his spirit, he gives you gifts to operate in. Gifts like leadership, prophecy, generosity, and a lot more. And when you operate in the spirit, you end up bearing fruits. I'm going to kind of just recap a little bit. You bear fruits of the spirit such as, you guys know them? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. I wrote them down because I don't, I don't have them memorized. And so don't feel guilty. But when you are yielded to his spirit, you begin to bear his fruits. And this is what the spirit has for you and what he wants to do through you. And this is super exciting for the disciples because they witnessed all that Jesus did. And Jesus said back in the book of John that it would be better for them to go back so that the Holy Spirit can come and ascend them. And that is what happened on the day of Pentecost. But then something happened. Something happened. They were there gathered in the room, waiting. They didn't know what to expect or who the helper was, but the Holy Spirit came and descended upon the disciples and fully filled, 
fully immersed. Remember we talked about that, that the Greek word is baptismo. That's where we get our word baptism. That's why we, we dunk you fully under and bring you back up. If you're extra sinful, we hold you down for a little bit longer, and then we bring you back up. You can laugh at that, church. Come on, that's not true. We don't do that. But, but, but that's what he's talking about. The Holy Spirit comes and it fully fills the disciples, and something interesting happens. Things get a little unknown. They can't explain it. It says that the tongues of fire rested on each one of them, and they began speaking in tongues as the Spirit enabled them. In fact, if you read on the story, they weren't just speaking in tongues and kind of blabbing. They were actually speaking a different language around the world. And we know that because there was God-fearing Jews who all gathered in Jerusalem, and they're like, hey, you're speaking my language. That's, that's my language you're, you're, you're speaking in. Like, you're not from where I'm from. How are you doing this? What, what's going on? And, and for the people who didn't understand what was happening, they started kind of making up excuses. They're thinking like, oh, do you know what? Um, <laughs> they must be drunk. <laughs> they're, they're a little tipsy this morning. I mean, you know how, you know how, how, how that gets. Start speaking in other tongues. That's what's happening here. And Peter stood up and says, whoa, 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 whoa. I get you don't understand what's happening here, but it's still like 10 o'clock in the morning, people. Way too early to begin drinking. This is not what's happening. And Peter, actually filled with the Holy Spirit, gives one of his, one of his first and what I believe one of his best sermons. And he begins to explain exactly what all was happening and what was all going on. But it was very clear that those who were witnessing this event were very confused as to what was happening because of the disciples were speaking in tongues. And even to this day, there are so many people still confused about the spiritual gift because it can be confusing. The idea of tongues has been a very controversial topic to discuss. For those of you who grew up in the church world, uh, we see the stance of tongues can be a very wide pendulum swing. We have the church world over here that says, you know what, uh, it's weird, we're not going to talk about it. In fact, we're not going to talk about the Holy Spirit, we'll just focus on Jesus and God the Father. And maybe you grew up in that church, and that's awesome. But maybe you grew up in another sect of the church where it says, do you know what? It's all Holy Spirit, and we're just going to go crazy, bring out the snakes, start swinging from the chandeliers. Earl, you start doing what you want to do over here, and we'll just have a big old hoedown. And they just start going crazy, and services last, you know, six hours, and we're sweating, and you're like, what in the world's going to happen? No matter which area you grew up in, it's okay. Because I'm not here saying you need to grow up in this one and not that one. And I'm not saying this is wrong and this one's right. But what I am saying is that the Holy Spirit is here and he has gifts available to you. And he wants to live through you. And so just to kick off this message, and people are wondering why are we talking about this, is because we have very different walks of life in our church. And it's amazing, right, church? This is what we want. We have people who grew up in a very kind of conservative church and people that grew up in a very kind of a liberal church. But today, I just want to kind of get a feel. This requires participation on your end just by doing this. Can we all do this? Everyone raise your hands. Put them down. Okay, that's awesome. That's good. So I want to know, just kind of see who we are today, no judgment, no nothing, but if you grew up in a church where speaking in tongues was prevalent, raise your hand, my hand's raised. Okay, awesome, raise your hands down. If you grew up in a church where it didn't happen, or maybe it was kind of weird or confusing, and kind of just stayed away from that, raise your hand. Okay, yeah, yeah. Now raise your hands if you're like, I'm just going to see what you're going to say today, Pastor, and then I'll make my mind. 
All right, we have people like that, and that's awesome. That's awesome. That's good. And, and, and I'm going to be preaching to all of you guys. I'm not going to say this is what we're doing. This is not what we're not going to do. And at the end, we're all gonna, just going to start going crazy and maybe do things. If God wants to do that, awesome. But I, I just want to preach to you what Scripture says this morning. It's kind of funny as to who's been in that environment and who hasn't. Uh, I personally grew up in a church where speaking tongues was very prevalent, but my wife grew up in a church environment where it wasn't talked about and maybe even put to the side. And guess what? We have a healthy marriage. It's okay. It's fine. Yeah. It's okay. And, and it's good. But no matter what your background is, I want to take a few moments today and walk you through some key scripture that talks about tongues, because this is kind of the big one that the charismatic church really points out. But then I'm going to shift gears a little bit, and I'm going to talk about what it means to live a spirit-filled life, because it's two different things. It's two different things. Last week, I asked a question if I believe speaking in tongues, because I know some of you guys are wondering, like, what, where's it going with this? Uh, speaking in tongues is relevant today, and I just want to answer really start off the bat so I can go through this. Go through there. Okay, let's make sure I wasn't my mic. Um, to go through there, is speaking in tongues relevant for today? Is it, is it for today? My answer is absolutely, positively yes. It is, it is, it is, it is. But I don't want you to get caught up in that one gift. Because remember, we read scripture last week that says, it is the giver who decides who has what gift. Because guess what? There's a lot more than speaking in tongues. There's a lot more than prophecy. There's also generosity. There's servanthood. There's leadership. There's so many other different things. And so I don't want you to get caught up on these things, but I just want to go through what Scripture says about it. So what do we know about speaking in tongues, this gift that the Holy Spirit gives us? The first one is this, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 27. First point in there is, when someone speaks in tongues publicly, there should be interpretation. When someone speaks in tongues publicly, there should be interpretation. There's a scripture where Paul's speaking to a church about this issue, and he tells the church kind of very blatantly how this works. This is what it says. It says this. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three, each in turn, see the order there, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in the church and speak to himself and to God. Super simple, right? If someone speaks in tongues... There has to be another person or three at the most to be able to interpret what's being said. And if no one is there to interpret, Paul says, do you know what? It's okay to still speak in tongues, but it's between you and God. It's between you and God. In fact, I, will, I don't want to scare some of you that maybe you're new here or you're a guest here, but that happened this morning and it continues to happen throughout church. Happens all the time. I did it this morning as I was praying for, for the church, praying for our service. Our leadership back there was doing it while we were getting ready for today's things. Our worship team was probably speaking in tongues underneath their breath as we were receiving communion. It happens without even you knowing it. And did you sense a, something weird? No. At least I didn't think so. Did you sense something off? Did you see, see something awkward? No. No, no. But Paul does say that there might be a time where someone might speak up in tongues, and if that does happen, let there be an interpretation, which is also a spiritual gift. And really, this is what usually happens. I mean, for, for, for you who are kind of aware to speaking in tongues, I mean, again, this, is, this, is, this might happen. And it's good that it happens. But when I come in and pray before everyone gets in, I tend to speak in tongues quietly in my prayer time. When the team gathers together, people are able to speak in tongues, tend to whisper underneath their breath. Well, Vaughn, 
What about the interpretation? I haven't seen that. What, what, why don't we have that today? Well, grow up in my church, I, I've witnessed something. Someone that would usually speak in tongues, usually would, would seem kind of like just like a quick sentence. And right after, there would be a few people in our church that would immediately interpret what was being said. And that would be then called prophecy, and it would edify the body. So someone would speak in tongues, an interpretation would happen, and we all like, okay, I understand what's going on now. But there are some people today, and I'm not going to say uh, who they are, and I'm not, I'm not going to say that they're bad, and uh, that's between them and their leadership. But there are some people that they will speak in tongues, and there's no interpretation. What then? I don't know. I don't know. But Scripture says that let there be interpretation. But Paul says something very interesting in 23. Remember, this is Paul. This is not Pastor Vaughn speaking. This is not, you know, another. This is Scripture, God, God's breathed word. Verse 23, he says this. Verse Corinthians 14, 23, he says, If therefore the whole church comes together and to speak in tongues. So imagine we all came together and to speak in tongues. And outsiders or unbelievers enter. Will they not say you're out of your minds? Imagine that. Imagine we just all came and started speaking in tongues, and people, exactly what happened at the day of Pentecost. They're a little tipsy this morning. I saw them taking communion. There might have been something in it. <laughs> I don't know. And try, I poke fun at it because I come from a very charismatic church, so please don't, don't I, I'm, I'm in there in that boat with you. But Paul's saying, won't they say that you're out of your minds, like if you just came together and that's all that you did? And this is Paul saying this, and what he's doing, he's instructing the church and us that there is a value of tongues. And I want to make that very important. He's not devaluing tongues. He's not devaluing that spiritual gift. He's saying, you know, it's actually a good thing, but there's an order to it, just like anything else in Scripture. Unless speaking in tongues is interpreted, it's only between you and God. And it's a beautiful thing. It's an amazing thing. In fact, I heard a pastor say at one time that when you're able to do that, you're, you're edifying your inner man, your, your, your spirit. It causes something to rise up in you and have a different perspective on life. When, when things hit and you start speaking in the spirit, it's like, oh, man, like, like my, my, the lens that I see the world through changes. And it's a wonderful thing. It's a great thing. But Paul says, if you're going to say it out loud, if you're going to yell it out, there's got to be interpretation. So I'm just going from what scripture says. But there's something else about tongues that Paul says, and it's the second point in your notes, and it's this. Speaking in tongues strengthens the person speaking, not necessarily the church. Speaking in tongues strengthens the person speaking, not the church. 1 Corinthians 14, 4 through 5 says this. Then the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Remember, we talked about prophecy where someone, it's a, it's a fancy word saying, speaking on the behalf of God. Some people say what I'm doing right now is prophetic. Maybe some of you during worship, we've had it done before, you get this kind of welling up inside of you and you have this message that you feel like God is going to give. That's prophetic. Some of you, that happens and you try to push it down because it's kind of awkward. Uh, let me know you have a message and share it. Share it. it. It's prophetic. It, it builds up the church. But Paul saying, says, you know, if you speak in tongues, it builds up yourself. But the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues. That's, that's Paul saying, and that's my saying too. But even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. 
And it's here that Paul brings up another gift that we talked about last week, the gift of prophecy or speaking on behalf of God. And Paul's saying, he says, hey, the one who prophesies is actually better for the building up for the church than the one who speaks in tongues. Why? Because when someone speaks prophetically, the church can understand. They can understand what's being said. They can understand clearly the message of God. And that's why he puts in there kind of that disclaimer towards the end and says, but if you do speak in tongues and there's an interpretation, let it go because guess what? You'll be able to understand what is being spoken. You'll be able to understand what is being said. A commentary of mine says it this way. It says, eight times Paul used the word understanding. It's not enough for the minister to impart information to people. The people must receive it if it is to do them any good. This means there must be an understanding of the word of God that is being spoken. So we have to understand it. Can tongues be spoken and edify the church? Absolutely. Yes, it can. If there is an interpretation. But more times than not, we see and we can read scripture of people speaking in tongues and it edifies the speaker and not the church but Paul continues instructing the church in verse 18, and he says this. He said, and I love Paul because Paul, if you read about him, he sounds kind of arrogant a little bit. If you read, he sounds kind of cocky, like he's like, I'm better than all y'all, um, but this is how it's supposed to be. And he continues, and he says this. He says, I thank God I speak in tongues more than all of you. That's a big statement, right? He says, I thank God I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless.
by the Spirit. You will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh for those who are opposed to each other to keep you from doing things that you want to do. So what Galatians is saying is that the life that we live in, the life that we live in, there's two opposing forces. And forces, it sounds kind of like Star Wars-y, and I don't want to go there. But there's two opposing forces as you live in this world. There's your flesh, but then there's the Holy Spirit. And they oppose each other. You see, the flesh is what you were born with. It says that we're born into sin, right? And so you have this natural desire to do things that are wrong in God's eyes. And that flesh is constantly with you. But he's also saying, do you know what? There's this thing called the Holy Spirit. And he desires for you to do the things that actually glorify God. But because the Holy Spirit wants you to do opposite of what the flesh wants you to do, you're going to get this conflict. And it's going to happen over and over and over and over. But in this life, church, in this life, you are either submitted to one or the other. You can't ride the fence. You can't be in between. You're either with the flesh or you're with the Holy Spirit. But the choice is yours. And so that's what he, he, he's talking about. And, and, and it's when you rely on the Holy Spirit and yield to his leading that you live a spirit-filled life. But this is just more than just trying to do what's right. Because I think sometimes we can kind of keep it right there and say, I'm just going to do what's right. And that's a spirit-filled life. It is way more than that. It is way more than that. In fact, Paul, once again, but this time in the book of Ephesians, makes a great comparison on what it looks like to live a spirit-filled life. And I've been wanting to preach on the scripture ever since I've been a pastor, and I finally get the chance to do it. In Ephesians 5, 15 through 18, he makes a comparison between being drunk. Some of you guys are like, what? And being filled with the Holy Spirit. This is what he says. Look carefully then how you walk not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. He says, you know what, your days are numbered, so let's work with them with the best that we can. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine. He's, he, it's not like he's changing a 180 and says, oh, by the way, uh, don't overconsume alcohol. He's trying to make a point here. Do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery but be filled with the Spirit. Here's your last point this morning. When you're drunk, you're under the influence. Sounds super spiritual, doesn't it? It doesn't. So let me explain. I went to college um, at Shattery State, and uh, I, I did not participate in a lot of things that happened, but I had friends that did. And I remembered when we went to the parties, and I was kind of standoff and watching and all that, and I realized something that if you overconsume what your body can handle, things begin to happen. Right? I mean, things be- but like, like what happens if you overconsume alcohol? Uh, you begin to act differently. Yeah. You begin to talk differently. Yup. You begin to behave differently. And the reasons for getting drunk is an interesting thing, too. I mean, I looked up some reasons. For some, they get drunk to find comfort in the reality. So they want to escape what's going on, but if they can be under the influence, they find comfort. Another, they may get drunk because they get a little bit more bold than they were if they weren't. We've seen that guy that drinks a little bit more and starts hitting on the girl that he has no chance with. Right? Happens all the time. 
but they get a little bolder. For another person, they find that they're a bit more joyful than they were when they were sober. So people actually get under the influence to find happiness, to find joy. Isn't that interesting? Because here's the thing, church. What's another name for alcohol? Spirits. Spirits. Are you tracking with me this morning? I'm waiting for the light bulbs to kind of hit a little bit. When you're under the influence, you're going to be under a spirit. But you have to decide which spirit. Spirit of your flesh or the spirit of Jesus Christ? Which one? And do you know why it's called that? Because when you've had too much, you're under the influence. You have succumbed to its bidding. You have lost your own authority and now under the authority of too much alcohol. Well, Vaughn, I can handle my alcohol. No, you can't. No, that's not how it works. But depending on which spirit you're under, you succumb to that authority. But you have to choose. What does a spirit-filled life do? Well, for starters, it means that you're totally immersed in the Holy Spirit. You're under the influence of Jesus Christ. And when you're totally immersed, you soon realize you begin to act a little differently. When you're under the influence of the Holy Spirit, you begin to talk differently. When you're under the influence of the Holy Spirit, you should behave differently. And what happens when you live a spirit-filled life? We just read all seven of them. You start bearing the fruits of the Spirit. And that's the difference. And you have to choose which one are you going to live under. And this is why Paul makes the comparison between, you know, this is what happens when you drink too much wine. But this is what happens when you let God be your influencer in this life. Because when you live a spirit-filled life, things change. You talk differently. You speak a little bit more positive in this world. You're not as bitter. You shouldn't be gossiping. You, you should be speaking life and truth and love to everyone that's around you. You behave differently. You don't just kind of slump through this world like Eeyore and say, oh, woe is me. Oh, Lord, I'm going to wait in my little closet until you come back. No, when you're spirit-filled life, you go out with a boldness and you say, it doesn't matter what comes against me. I have victory in this life. I can go out and do the things that God has called me to do. But that's under the influence of the Holy Spirit. That's the difference. This is why we're preaching through the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit, church, he comes down with power, power that's available to you. And when you submit to his power, good things begin to happen. And I want to tell you, do not live this life without the leading of the Holy Spirit. Man, there's so much more to your Christian walk when you let that happen. Being under the influence, being totally immersed, being filled with the Holy Spirit is the best decision you can make. But it's a decision you have to make every single day. Vaughn, isn't it like a one-time deal being filled with His Spirit? I know there's a lot of theology and doctrine that says there's the second baptism, third baptism, and the quadruple baptism and all that. If you study the Word, that little phrase in Ephesians where it says, but be filled with the Holy Spirit... The be filled is actually a present tense verb. Why is that a big deal? Let me tell you why. Because it says every single day be filled with his spirit. It's a continual thing, church. It's not just a one time for all and that's it. He says when you wake up, ask God to fill you with his spirit. When you go to work, ask God to fill you with his spirit. When you go and parent your kids, ask God to fill you with his spirit. When you have that argument with your spouse, ask God to fill you with his spirit. 
It's a continual thing. Always ask God to fill you with his spirit. Be filled with his spirit. Be continually filled every single day because there's always something more of God that you can grasp. Isn't that great? That the God that we serve, he, he's so infinitely larger than what we could even imagine. And every single day we have to ask his spirit to fill us so he can reveal the more mysteries of God to us. I love that. Continually wants to give more of himself to you. Galatians 5.25 gives us this charge, and it's the last verse in this series. It says this, verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, what does that say? Let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Today, if you are a believer in Christ, and you have accepted him as your Lord and Savior, and you are walking with Jesus, and you believe that you are filled with his spirit, and you're like, you know what, this, this is what it looks like, this is what, what's going to be. It says, then let you keep in step with him. When the Holy Spirit says go, you go. When the Holy Spirit says stop, you stop. When the Holy Spirit gives you gifts to operate, you operate in them. If the Holy Spirit gives you an urge, you go for it. If the Holy Spirit tells you to yield, you yield. Be in step with the Holy Spirit. Be in step with him. If we, if we say we are followers of Christ, and let's be filled with the Spirit. Let's operate in the gifts that he has given us. Let us bear fruits of the Spirit. And let's continually ask more of the Holy Spirit every single day. The Holy Spirit, he's not weird, church. He's not weird. He's not going to make you do things. He's not going to overpower your own will and have you do something else. It's not like he comes upon you and you're possessed. That's not how it works. In fact, I believe in the scripture, you can see that the Holy Spirit, he, he, he's like a gentleman. He'll, he'll come and he'll immerse you, and then he'll give you prompting and says, hey, hey, you need to pray for your friend. Pray for him. You need to help this person out. Help them out. You need to get plugged into church. Or, hey, haven't you been away from Jesus for a little bit? You need to get it back with Jesus. And he's going to give you promptings, but that's what he does. But it's up to you, church, to allow the Holy Spirit to fully immerse you. When you do that, it is amazing to go through this life and step with the very same spirit that was indwelling with Jesus Christ during his ministry on this earth. It's amazing. Let's pray. Can we pray?